0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Health Freak Podcast. This is episode number five, and thank you so much for listening. If you're new, welcome. I'm happy to have you here. And if you have been listening, then a huge thank you, because it definitely means so much to me to know that you keep coming back to listen to me ramble on in my Staten Island accent and you know, bring you all these things that I feel are super important. So hi, how are you doing? I hope you guys are all doing well, having a good summer, a good week, and just honestly not letting all the craziness going on around us bring you down too much. I know it's really overwhelming and it's impossible not to feel a thousand different feelings throughout the day. And I hope that you're handling it as best you can and just doing your best to keep your head above water and take care of yourself and those around you. And I'm definitely not going to dwell on any of the nonsense going on on my podcast right now, at least um, I kind of want this to be a fun, safe zone that I can come to and just kind of zone out and do my thing. And you guys can come to and just listen and chill and learn. And that's that. So I hope you're doing great. And let's get into it. So today, guys, I've got such an awesome episode for you. So you guys know I'm a new parent. I'm a new mom. My daughter's 14 months. And, you know, there's so much that parents have to kind of figure out and as a parent, you know, I just like you guys, just like everybody, I want to do the best that I can for my daughter and to foster in her not just that when it comes to eating and feeding her that she eats healthy food, but also I want her to develop a healthy relationship with food and enjoy healthy eating as she gets older and I know that it can be so stressful as parents to know what the quote-unquote right thing to do is or the right approach but on that note we all need to remember that there is no such thing as perfect parenting so all we can do is educate ourselves in a way that allows us to help our kids and our families and you know just help them to do the best that they can so as obviously we know in today's culture we're just inundated with diet talk and food fear and disordered eating and so many more issues around food so how can we as parents do our best to feed our kids and teach them in a way that doesn't feel stressful it doesn't stress them out it doesn't stress us out how can we help them to trust themselves when it comes to eating when they're making their own choices and how can we bring ease and peace to mealtime at home with our kids and you know what can we do to model healthy habits at home not just surrounding food, but healthy habits surrounding physical activity, sleep, everything we do throughout the day and having fun and just bringing ease into our lives to make the eating part of our lives with our kids a lot less stressful and less hectic. So my guest today is here to help. So today I'm talking with Dr. Yami Kazorla-Lancaster, who is a board certified pediatrician, a certified lifestyle medicine physician nationally board certified health and wellness coach. She's an author and a podcast host and a professional speaker and she's just awesome. I found Dr. Yami on Instagram and I was so happy to find her page because it was relieving to find a pediatrician who not only was advocating for a plant-based diet but also was educating her followers in a way that feels accessible to anyone and it wasn't stressful or overwhelming to learn from what she was putting out especially when it comes to applying that to our kids so Dr. Yami makes learning about raising intuitive eaters feel so much less overwhelming and that is why I was so happy when I found out that she wrote a book so her book is called a parent's guide to intuitive eating how to raise kids who love to eat healthy And I can't recommend this book enough. It's such a great read, whether or not you have children, because it's really for anybody who wants to learn how to eat intuitively, what that really even means and how we can take steps in all aspects of our lives to eat and live in a healthier and simpler and just a less stressful way. So this book is such a gem. It really is. And during our conversation, we touch on a lot of the stuff in the book and lots of other things such as intuitive eating and the definition and how we can go about that. Health at every size, which is kind of a concept that's been going around. And I think there's a lot of misconception around it. So she does, a, you know, such a great job of explaining that to me and allowing us to figure out what that means. And also we talk about raising plant-based kids and how to approach that and also establishing a positive environment at home. So I highly encourage you to check out this book. Like I said, whether or not you have kids, it's a great read. It's very comprehensive and it brings so much ease to a lot of the things that she talks about in the book. So you can find Dr. Yami at dryami.com. You can also find her at veggiefitkids.com. And this is a website that she created to provide information on plant-based diets for children. Super helpful. And also you can listen to her podcast, Veggie Doctor Radio. Highly recommend. It's one of my favorites. It's so much fun. And she's just great. So let's get right into it. Without further ado, here's my chat with Dr. Yami. Dr. Yami, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to have you. Why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, and what you are most passionate about in your work. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for inviting me. This is a big honor
1: for me, and I really appreciate it. And I am primarily a pediatrician. So I'm a board certified pediatrician, but I'm also certified in lifestyle medicine. And I'm also a national board certified health and wellness coach. So what I say is that I practice pediatrics with a lifestyle medicine emphasis, but I specialize in plant-based nutrition and intuitive eating, which I direct towards moms and their kids. Cool.
0: Awesome. And I want to congratulate you on your book, um, a Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating. I love it. I just finished it a couple of weeks ago. And personally, I just want to tell you that it's been such a big help for me having a one-year-old and navigating um, having a plant-based baby and being only a little over a year into being plant-based myself. So it's just such a great read and not just for parents, but for anybody really who wants to um, just be healthier overall. It's so comprehensive and I just loved it. Um, So thank you for that. So what made you want to write this book? Was it the work you do, your patients? Yeah, so I
1: felt like we needed a resource that specifically addressed plant-based nutrition for children. So that's originally what I set out to do. Yeah. However, because of my own journey with food and body image and because I was seeing some of the same themes coming up in the plant-based community and different groups that i was part of you know on facebook in person and in you know the virtual world i realized that the nutrition part's actually pretty simple you know like a Mm. lot of us kind of know that we need to eat more fruits and vegetables and all of that but what's really difficult and really stressful for parents is how to feed their children yeah And it takes it to the next level whenever you're a mom or a dad that has had body image problems and disordered eating, it makes it even more difficult to feed your child. And so that's why I felt like I really needed to redirect my focus and teach more people about this concept, the principles of intuitive eating and why they are so important not only when we're feeding our children, but when we're feeding ourselves and just approaching food and our bodies in general.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's so important. And it is, it does seem to be more important than what we feed, because I know that my daughter should eat fruit and vegetables. But some of the things you describe in your book, like the division of responsibility, and you know, we'll get into that a little bit, but just how to approach it and like, my first thing was, well, how much do I give her, you know? So Mm -hmm. all those little intricacies, it really helps with. And just because as parents, we always want to do the best that we can and just avoid problems as much as we can. Like, I feel like that's my biggest goal as a mom, just to avoid any, like, big problems down the line. So intuitive eating is something that's become, like, a a popular phrase. And I think a lot of people have a different approach to it in which – kind of is counterintuitive to me, but why don't you tell us what intuitive eating is and why it's so important? Okay. Well,
1: the term intuitive eating was actually created and developed by two women. They have a newer edition of their book that was just released. So Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, and they actually have defined 10 principles around intuitive eating. And I think it's really important, especially for people who have had disordered eating to go and read that book. But I wanted to simplify it a little bit more for parents, for their children. So the way that I say that, you know, approach intuitive eating is that it's really about honoring hunger and satiety. So intuitive eating means that you are responding to your hunger and you're eating until you're satisfied. And the reason it's important is because for some reason, when we have kids, we start believing that we need to control how much our kids eat. Babies and children, they're born intuitive eaters. Mm-hmm. So we know that from the beginning, especially if you're nursing a baby, you mm-hmm. don't just like force their Face in your breast and be like, keep eating, keep eating. You know, like we know that, you know, they have a sigh and they just kind of turn their head away and they're like, ah, you know, and we know that they've had enough, you know. But when they start transitioning into toddlerhood and early childhood, that's when we start feeling like we need to micromanage and we say, you need to eat more. You can't eat this until you eat this. Or, And then the other side, if we become concerned that our child is too large, then we start restricting their food and saying, don't eat that, you're eating too much, eat less and and those kinds of things. And so then that's when we start to really interfere with that natural ability that babies are born with to tune in to their hunger and their fullness.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so basically babies and even toddlers and little kids, they will become they will go out of intuitive eating if you start forcing certain patterns on them. Correct? Absolutely. So like, yeah, it's true because I watch my daughter and I know that when she starts like biting the couch that she's hungry <laughs> and she doesn't just want to eat out of nowhere. And, uh, it was, it was cool because I did breastfeed and so I was able to pick up on those things early on. So yeah, it definitely comes more natural to kids and we shouldn't interfere with that most likely. Yeah. Um, and,
1: and, we're, and I also just want to, you know, just give a big hug and put my heart out to all parents out there because I had to go on this journey my own way. And yeah. of course, sometimes the hard way, just like a lot of us do. So I'm not coming from this pedestal saying that I'm like perfect or mm-hmm. that I knew this from the beginning. It's because I made a lot of the same mistakes yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, it's really important to, honor that and to know that it's okay to honor that because the reason that parents are micromanaging the food is because they care so much about their child and what they want the best for their child. But what I'm trying to inform them of is that when we micromanage the food, we're actually not going to the goal, we're, we're actually going away from the goal, we're causing an opposite reaction in the child. So it's not working anyway. And it's stressful for everybody.
0: Yeah, it definitely makes it more stressful when especially if you have a baby that is more picky, or that, you know, just doesn't want to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk about something you mentioned in your book, um, health at every size, mm-hmm. because I think it's so important, because we do have babies who are and even myself, like my daughter is kind of little and I, at one point was like, and she eats, like she eats a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is she eating enough? Is she eating enough? Um, so let's talk about health at every size, what it is and like why it's so important for parents to understand the concepts.
1: Yes. So this is a controversial concept. Yeah, and I think the reason it's controversial is because people really misunderstand it. So a lot of people think that health at every size means that every person at every size is healthy and that's not what it means. Right. The way that I summarize health at every size is that it is the potential that each person has despite their weight and their body size to reach the health and well-being that they desire through habits and behaviors. Okay. So that means that regardless of your weight, regardless of your body size or body type or body shape, you can start doing things that lead you to the health and well-being that you want. You don't have to wait till you're a certain size or weight, or even try to change the size of your body in order to get those things. But it doesn't mean that everybody's healthy because we know that that's not true. Not everybody in the whole world is healthy. Right. Regardless of their size, there's very lean people that aren't healthy and there's very large people that aren't healthy. But no matter
0: what size you are, you can start doing things immediately to get there if you want. Right. And we see that a lot with fad diets, crash diets, all those things like, let me lose these 50 pounds quickly and then I'll implement the more healthier, you know, habits or whatever.
1: Yeah. Um, And I think that doctors aren't doing people a favor and I was there just with everybody saying that weight is so important that you need to get to a certain weight. But just like you said, whenever we're over on our weight, we actually sometimes make decisions that are contrary to our health goals. (laughs) You know, like it's keto is a perfect example, because a lot of people are able to drop pounds very quickly on the ketogenic diet. But at least 30% of people that do the ketogenic diet are going to get increased cholesterol and, and abnormal changes in their lab values. So if we were not so over focused on weight, then people could be like, okay, well, what is my true goal? I want to feel good. I want to have longevity, well-being and health. Well, maybe we should do it through eating more plants and just modest
0: movement, physical movement and sleep and those kinds of things. Yeah. I think somewhere along the line, people stopped eating uh, for health and started only focusing on weight and, um, you know, thinking that they're the same when they're really, really not necessarily. Um, so I appreciate that output from you because like I said, it helps as a mom who is trying to figure it all out and, um, just do the best that we can. So you have your own practice, right? Correct. Cool. And what made you want to do that as, as opposed to maybe something you were else working elsewhere?
1: Well, I actually started out working at a community health center for six and a half years, which was great. And I loved all of the doctors I worked with. They're fabulous mentors. I don't think I would have been ready to start my own practice straight Mm -hmm. out of residency anyway. But after a few years, I really developed this passion for plant-based nutrition, for lifestyle medicine. And I just felt that my practice at that time was not compatible with having enough time and space and freedom to talk about those topics with Mm -hmm. families. It's not really compatible with the current modern American medical system. Yeah, There's just not enough time. And so I decided to create my own office, my own private practice, where I could integrate that. And it's been fabulous. I've just loved it.
0: Yeah. So do you get mostly families who are already plant-based or looking to become plant-based?
1: So I would say that the majority of my families are not fully plant-based. I have a a nice handful of people that are fully plant-based and vegan, but the majority of my families are just doing what they can, they're very health conscious, and they want to eat as healthy as possible. Mm. So I would say that they're predominantly plant-based or eat mostly plants with some animal products. But I have a, a good mix of both to be able to see the effects of both. But compared to my prior practice, where maybe that, you know, those goals maybe didn't feel accessible to some of my families because of different reasons, my patient population looks very different in terms of health.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I love and appreciate our pediatrician. But I wish that there were more pediatricians like you out there that were um, kind of focused on the whole picture, Mm -hmm. like, um, and were receptive or even encouraging of of plant based because even when I mentioned it to our doctor, she said, uh, you know, she was like a little iffy about it. And so I just had to like, stay true to what I know to be true. And say, Okay, I respect that. But you know, whatever. So I just like appreciate that. I, re- I wish we had something like that closer to where I am. But, um, but again, luckily we have social media where I can follow people like you and get all the information.
1: Yes. And with time, we'll get there. Yeah, I It's believe just that. that most doctors, they're just not informed. They weren't right. taught this in medical school or residency. And really most physicians, as far as like lifestyle medicine in general, even I was thinking about just being a pediatrician, there's so many things that I counsel families on that I never learned in medical school yeah. or residency. I either had to learn it through being a parent or doing research on my own to help families with their recurrent questions. And unfortunately, that's the case in most of medicine, because what we yeah. learn is really to keep people from dying. <laughs> you know, we learn yeah, how yeah. to give medications. We learn how to do surgery. We learn how to identify like really serious issues, which is really important. But we don't get taught as well what to do for prevention and what to do for like mild things. So, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. And a lot of people aren't aware of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what made you start getting into lifestyle medicine and a uh, kind of a new, a shift in traditional practicing?
1: It was just seeing the effects in my own life and out of frustration to find a solution that made sense and was simple for my families. Because as you know, in the United States, we're overstressed, we don't sleep enough, right. we're consuming too much processed foods. So I really wanted to find something that was simple, understandable, and easily applicable. And I feel like lifestyle medicine is that, you know, it's, it's the way that we can prevent, but also potentially reverse disease.
0: It works really well and it's easy to understand. So I just love it. Yeah. So one other thing I love about your book is that Uh, and your work is that you it's not just about babies, like you go into um, a little bit older. And I think that's really important. And you also talk about like modeling habits in the home and all these things that make it takes the stress off of the eating part, like eating is just eating, like it doesn't have to be this stressful thing. And I just love how you talk about sleep and stress and even meditation and activity. Um, And so How do you think we can go about, especially in such a stressful time and a stressful age and overstimulated time, how as parents, we can do our best to model healthier habits in our home that, you know, will make things easier for our kids? Yeah,
1: I think it's starting where you are and trying things. I think I want to give permission to all the moms and dads out there to experiment Play around with what works for you, but also drop the expectations. You know, one of the things that I talk about at the beginning of the book is that we have so much mom guilt. We shame ourselves. We shame each other. And we believe that there's this like, perfection in the sky sort of feeling where our kids have to be like these perfect broccoli eaters and they have to have the so-called perfect body type or body size. And that's just not the case. So Mm -hmm. feel free to design the life that's right for you and your family, but you're probably not going to get it right away. And it's a moving target, just like you said. You have a baby one year and a few years later, they're in elementary school and then they're teenagers and they're driving like mine started, got his learner's permit and I'm driving around the parking lot with him and oh, it's like gosh. super, wow. <laughs> so it's a moving target. So just know that you're going to have to adjust, give yourself permission to adjust, try different things and just know that you never have to be perfect. But you'll know if you're in the right on the right track because it'll feel good. You're not going to feel stressed out all the time. You're going to be rested. You're going to be able to laugh and have joy with your family. And that's really what we're after, right? We're after yeah. having these moments with our children, having these moments with our families or even with ourselves to discover yeah. our own inner beauty and the purpose for being here on you know this planet. And so I just give families that permission to do that, to explore and find what works for them
0: yeah and it's hard to not compare yourself to other parents especially moms Mm -hmm. uh when we're on social media all the time and like as soon as i found out i was pregnant i was like looking up what to do about this what to do about that and my mom was like you need to stop because you just need to do your best for you like that's it so it's it's hard to not compare and be like well her kid eats broccoli why doesn't my kid eat broccoli?" yes yes comparison is the thief of joy but also
1: One of the things that I like to talk about in my book is that genetics are super strong and important and they determine so much about us, not just the size of our bodies, because there's a strong genetic link to the size of our bodies and our weight, but also our eating behaviors. So there really are going to be some kids that they're so easy to feed, that they just eat everything. My older ones like that. And there's going to be some kids that genetically, they just... Are a little bit more skeptical, you know, and yeah. they're just like, oh. and you know, they warm up. So it might take a little bit more consistency and persistence with yeah. that child. And there's gonna be some kids that love to eat a big amount, and there's gonna be some kids that they're full very quickly. And that's really determined a lot
0: by genetics and their body type. Well, that makes sense because I have a huge appetite and <laughs> my daughter is a bottomless pit. So that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Makes- well, that's <laughs> <sense>. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's so far i don't want to label her or it's a t- attach myself to this but she's yes. such a good eater so can do you think ki- so kids can be naturally picky it's something i've always wondered They're just yes yes care.
1: they can be and and i try not to use the word picky because i yeah. feel like we have this connotation of picky and being a bad thing and really the majority of parents of one to five year olds will label their their children as picky, the majority of parents. (laughs) So it's one of those things that every parent thinks their kid is picky, but yeah, there's definitely going to be some kids that are a little bit more selective and we have lots of different theories for that. But one of them is because there are some people that are bitter, super tasters that they just really taste that bitter flavor in foods and they don't like it as much. Although they have found that some people that are bitter super tasters actually are the ones that really love bitter flavor. So those are the people that love the coffee and the IPA and all of that stuff. So who knows? But I definitely see this. It runs, you know, you can see siblings with different habits and different approaches to food. They're in the same family. They have the exact same environment, but they approach food differently. And I just wanna encourage families to respect that and yeah. not to try to micromanage. You're gonna have a kid that seems to you that they may overeat. You may have a kid that seems to you that they may undereat. If they're otherwise healthy and you have a positive environment, you're practicing the division of responsibilities, you're keeping a nice flexible structure for your meals,
0: just let it go and let it be. Yeah, so let's talk about the division of responsibility because I've I've heard you talk about it and I've read it and then I've heard, um it from other people I follow, like Alex and Whitney from Plant Based Juniors, love them too. And um, this actually was a concept that was a big help to me because like I was saying before, it's hard to be like, eat more, eat less. Even my daughter will eat a whole can of beans if I let her like loves it. So I give her what I think is an appropriate amount. And then (laughs) she usually eats all of it. So can you explain what that means to us? Yes.
1: I love the division of responsibilities because it really takes the pressure off of parents. It was created by Ellen Satter. And so she is just a great feeding expert that just approaches it with so much love and trust. But basically what it means is that the parent and the child both have a set of responsibilities and they have autonomy over those responsibilities. Okay. So the parent decides what, when and where the child is going to eat and you know so you decide you're going to serve some chickpeas with broccoli and brown rice we're going to have it at around noon today and we're going to be sitting at the table so that is your job you as a parent decide what you're going to feed your child but then once you're finished with that your job is done You hand the food over to your child, and then the child decides if and how much they're going to eat. So you're not going to be crossing over into their autonomy like, oh, you sure you don't want another bite? Come on, just one more bite. You can't go play until you have one more bite, or you can't have your brownie until you finish all your broccoli. You are crossing over into their autonomy. And just like I was referring to before, when we start doing that, when we start telling kids how much to eat, we are interfering with their ability to tune into their bodies
0: because then they're overriding that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just talking about intuitive eating, like I never thought about how much our habits as adults can form as kids,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, so that's why I take such care in like trying to just like, whatever, let her eat what she wants and let her be done with it. If she's too full, maybe she'll remember that next time and not eat as much as she gets older. Um, so yeah, it just makes things so much easier, like, overall for us. So let's talk for a minute about plant based babies. Mm-hmm. typically developing
1: child that has no chronic diseases ever in my practice. Okay. It's just yeah. not a thing. So mm-hmm. let that rest. <laughs> so that's <laughs> the first one. And then the second one I think would be just micronutrient concerns. Calcium would be the big one that people are worried about. Cause that's the one we talk about the most with milk and dairy and those kinds of things. And then some families might be worried about vitamin D and, and all of those. And then of course, families are worried that, Usually in the infancy period when we're introducing complementary foods to babies, they do great. But as they reach toddlerhood, they start having food jags. They don't want to eat as much because they're not growing quite as fast, so they don't need as many calories. And then at that point, families start becoming concerned that their children are not eating enough fruits and vegetables. Um, And that's easily addressed. And basically, I'm telling parents, don't worry, keep doing exactly what you're doing and your child
0: will come around and they're going to be fine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just basically, you're probably telling people don't worry all day long.
1: <laughs> all day long. In fact, that's like my number one role, I feel, as a pediatrician is to reassure families. Yeah. But I tell p- families this is really important is because sometimes things can go wrong in kids for whatever reason. I'm not talking about plant based nutrition. I'm talking about other stuff. And if I'm worried, you got to take me seriously because most of the time I'm not worried. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and the other, um, my family, you know, I am from standard American diet, chicken, maybe a vegetable, mm-hmm. whatever. I was raised by a single mom, six kids. So it was like, wow. go, like eat and go, yeah. do whatever you got to do. Um, they were like asking me like, well, what about milk? Like babies have to have milk and where are you going to get calcium? And I'm like, she drinks soy milk. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of nutrition there mm-hmm. through that. And so when you have teenagers, so you have two sons. Mm-hmm. Were they always vegan or always plant-based? So I transitioned them when they
1: were 18 months and six years old. And my older one is the one that I said is the, he eats anything, he's so easy to please and has been his whole life. And my younger one, actually, he's adopted. And when he came, because I was so anxious about his growth, you know, he had a lot of catch-up growth to do. He didn't like animal products. He got severely constipated and had bleeding in his stool from dairy and I was pureeing meat to put into his lentil dishes because he loved lentils and beans and hummus and all of those things naturally so i had to try to hide it in his food and mm-hmm. he didn't like it so actually it was a natural easy transition from him getting him off dairy actually cured his constipation yeah. which was pretty severe really bad constipation and so it worked really well for our family <laughs> yeah. but i know that for some families it may be a little bit more difficult but that's why i say emphasize the positive and you know, if you know that your family is going to be hesitant, maybe going cold turkey is not going to be the best route for your family. So slowly start integrating, talk about health promoting things, talk about all the, you know, different fruits, vegetables, you're going to eat different whole grains, you're going
0: to try and just take it step by step. Yeah. And I think once people see the benefits, it helps them. And you know, I'm sure kids like a kid knows if he's constipated constantly, and then he all of a sudden feels better, he might be like, okay, I can stick with this. Like, for example, I became plant-based and I kind of jumped in a hundred percent because that's my personality. But my fiance was like, hell no, I am not doing that. Like, <laughs> but I do all the cooking. So yeah. I was like, here's this beautiful meal. And and now he he's not like a hundred percent plant-based, but he has so many more healthy plant foods in his life. And he actually just got blood work done and his cholesterol was like way down and wow. everything. And he said- Oh, I had pizza yesterday. I don't want to eat animal products for three days now. And I'm like, haha, we're making progress over here. Yes, Um, I love it. Yeah. But as far as children, I think kids, because when I think about how to approach this as my daughter gets older and when she starts having her freedom, you know, going out and birthday parties and all those things, to me, at the end of the day, it's going to be her decision to make. Mm -hmm. Um, And the most we can do is educate and lead by example. But I think if we're honest, like you tell me what you think, if you're honest about how we get our food, like, kids are going to be more naturally like compassionate and empathetic, and probably naturally geared toward this way of eating.
1: Yes. And I think that we have to be careful as parents, because like I said before, a lot of parenting is control. Yeah. <laughs> and we have certain goals and ideas of where our children are going to be and what they're going to do and how they're going to act and all of those things. So letting go of that is really important in order to parent in a way that is empathetic and compassionate towards your child. But, you know, the studies do show that people that eat in this way for Ethical, you know, compassionate animal rights reasons, and also for environmental reasons, tend to hold out longer than people who are just trying it, like as a fad diet or, you know, for health reasons. So, I talk to my children about all the different reasons to eat plants, but I also talk to them about how, you know, they can make their own choices. You know, it's my responsibility and I have the autonomy to make the choices in my household. And nobody argues with that. They love my cooking. Everybody's super happy about it. So it's not like I'm being like tyrannical about it. (laughs) but I know that they're going to go to birthday parties and they're going to go over to their friends' houses. And I allow them that freedom, but I also have trust in them. And because it allows them to practice intuitive eating, because part of intuitive eating is neutralizing foods too. So not thinking some foods are inherently bad and some foods are inherently good morally, you know, it doesn't make you a bad person. If you like cupcakes or brownies. So that helps them kind of navigate that themselves for their own lives and gives them practice because they are going to be out in the real world by themselves someday. They're not going to be under our household forever. So I think letting them have a little bit of that freedom is really important and also creates eaters that are confident. They're confident in their eating choices. They're confident in their bodies. And ultimately, that's what we
0: want, right? Yeah. And it helps them be more intuitive probably when they eat as well. And um, something that concerns me and why I think intuitive eating is like the most important, more important than even like saying eating plant based, but to eat intuitively is um, disordered eating. And especially in the age of social media. And like I was saying before, comparison, like we compare ourselves with other parents, but our kids are looking at other teenagers or influencers or whoever. And you know i mean this has been happening forever like especially young girls and you know comparing them their bodies to other other kids and um so do you think that intuitive eating and practicing that helps to veer them away from that yes and they they've done studies on this that
1: those that practice intuitive eating Either they always have, and they're just naturally intuitive eaters, or people that have had to relearn intuitive eater eating, they're actually more happy and more confident with their mm-hmm. bodies. And yeah. that's what I want for children as they grow into adolescence and adulthood, because if they're confident in themselves, they're confident in their choices, and they're confident in their bodies, they're less likely to fall into the disordered eating trap yeah. that is so prevalent right now.
0: Yeah. And something that I love also that you talk about is, um, like I was saying before, the other things that you can do in your life that help you like self-regulate because I know personally as a teenager, I was crazy. Like I was just one of these, like my mom just said I was an angsty, moody teenage girl, but I'm like, I had no way of like getting rid of that energy. Like, so what are some things that you do? Or like maybe you help your kids with, and especially your teenage son, um, to help him maybe regulate his moods, or maybe some anxiety or teenage problems? Well, the very first thing is sleep. Sleep is so
1: important. And it is so neglected. You know, especially with this quarantine, you would think that being home more would mean that people sleep more. But I actually think people are sleeping less right now, because they're staying up late. (laughs) So you know, the, the teenagers are sleeping in, so maybe they're getting around the same number of hours. But it's, their schedules are so off and they're staying up till 1 or 2 a.m. And that really just throws off our circadian rhythm and it affects our moods. So really just own that and know that schedules and sleep are so important. I think when our kids are younger, we know this, right? Because we know that if our toddlers don't sleep enough, they're cranky and it makes for a difficult day for them and for us. Like nobody Mm -hmm. wants to be with a toddler that's tantruming all day because they didn't get their nap. Well, the same thing happens to us. (laughs) You know, we don't act like a toddler sometimes, or at least, you know, maybe I do sometimes, but (laughs) you know, most of the time we're not acting like toddlers, but we're sad and we're anxious and we're not feeling good. The same thing happens to our kids. So the number one thing I think is getting sleep. Yeah. The other thing I think is really important is just getting physical activity. With the quarantine, that's also been a little off for some families because they may be afraid to go out, they haven't been able to go to the gym if they're part of a gym, but even just getting out for walks, dancing in the house together, doing activities together, going to the parks, going outdoors, it's really, really important to help regulate our metabolism because otherwise it can lead to some eating that may not be quite ideal, you know, whenever we're not sleeping enough, we're not moving enough, it can affect how we eat and how we approach our bodies and those kinds of things. So I think that those would be like the two most important ones to start with first. And of course, there's other lifestyle medicine techniques
0: and pillars that we can work on. But I think that those two are the most neglected. Yeah. So you just said it. And in your book, you have your five pillars of healthy eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you be okay with going into that for us? Yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah. And the pillars I was talking about was actually lifestyle medicine pillars, but I'll talk yeah. about my pillars too. There's all <laughs> so, sorts of pillars going on. So many pillars. <laughs> so I created the five pillars of healthy eating to simplify the process for families. And it's like a guideline, of course, it's not like an absolute rule. And we're never going to be perfect or anything. But the first one is going to be to honor hunger and satiety. That's like the number one rule, because it really doesn't matter. And I I talk about this with my clients, too, when I do health coaching, it doesn't matter where you are with who you are, what country you're in, if you are able to tune into your body, you're going to do fine. Okay, so, but we need to honor that and respect that when our children are displaying it too. So not trying to get them to eat more, not trying to get them to eat less, really trust them when they're done and when they need more food. Number two is emphasize whole plant foods. I'm not trying to convert everybody to veganism or make people hundred percent plant-based. If you are great, my family is, but it doesn't have to be all or nothing. So the more whole plant foods you can integrate into your diet for every meal, the better. So fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds. Make sure that you're getting a variety of those foods in as often as possible in their whole form as much as possible, okay? Number three is really important, and we've touched on this a lot throughout this conversation, and that's establish a positive environment. So in order to promote eating whole plant foods in order to promote a positive body image, we have to fill our environment with things that display that. So to cook these foods, you have to purchase them. So make sure that you're buying your whole plant foods and have them available, easily accessible to your kids, especially the teenagers, because we know that teenagers are not going to eat any food that's inconvenient. So cut up the Mm -hmm. fruit for them, cut up the veggies for them batch cook so that there's cooked beans and grains and all kinds of, you know, a good sauce in there so that they can make their own bowls, make it easy for them because otherwise they're gonna go for what's easy, which is chips and the bag of cookies and those kinds Mm -hmm. of things, okay? But the other thing about establishing a positive environment is also going to be about what you fill your life with, the messages that you fill your life with about body size and body image. So I like to have parents pay attention. What magazines are you getting? What's coming, you know, being displayed on the coffee table? What kind of programs are you watching? What social media are your children on? And then also, what's your own language? So there is something called Fat Talk, which is ingrained in females in the United States. And it's basically always making disparaging remarks about their bodies. Oh, my butt's so fat. My thighs are so big. My stomach is so gross. You know, when we do that all the time, it sends the message that we should be overfocused about the size of our bodies and that we all should be lean and have six packs. Okay. So Is that the message you want your child to have? Or do we wanna be more inclusive about different body sizes and shapes and types? So that's another part of establishing a positive environment. Number four is to be flexible. So I usually talk about the 80-20 rule here. So that helps because I I hear you saying that you're a type a like I am. Mm. So type a people, we want to be like 100% perfect. Okay, so whole plant foods all the time, no deviations, but that doesn't work well (laughs) for trying to promote intuitive eating and neutralizing foods. So what I say is 80% of the time, try to eat as health promoting as possible. So that 20% of the time, you can have a little wiggle room, you can go have the ice cream at the ice cream shop, or you can go on vacation and have some vegan donuts, which is my favorite indulgence Mm -hmm. you know so you don't have to be a hundred percent whole foods plant-based in order to be healthy and it's also maybe not necessarily good if you're just feel like you have to be so rigid and so tight all the time that you start kind of throwing that balance off as far as how you look at food and it's stressful for everybody and then the last one is just another reminder to relax and have fun. It really should be fun. It should be easy. It should not be stressful to feed ourselves and to feed our families. Mm -hmm. So just relax, take a deep breath. You're going to make mistakes, laugh them off, tweak your process and keep going.
0: Yeah, it is fun. And I noticed already my daughter's only 13 months, but she's already in the kitchen with me looking at like what I'm doing. And I'm like, wow, I can't wait to get her in here. Like when she's when she can you know, stand up on a, a stool or whatever and, and help me and come to the grocery store with me and, and all that stuff. Like, I look forward to doing that for her because I think it'll just instill those, you know, those habits in her even more. Yes. Um, so is there something in like, not just pediatrics, but in the whole healthcare profession that you wish would change now or that you see changing in the future? <laughs>
1: the main thing is health at every size right i really wish we would stop pressuring people to lose weight and get into this defined perfection bmi range i think that that would help so many people and the suffering of chronic yo-yo dieting restriction it's miserable and there are studies to show that disordered eating actually shortens our telomeres so it actually is affecting our lifespan and our longevity yeah. so that would be the main thing i just i just really wish people would look at it for what it is and not what they think it is and help patients help families on a journey of health and well-being by helping them adopt habits and behaviors that are sustainable rather than shaming them or trying to force their
0: bodies into a certain size Yeah. And I've heard of um, friends of mine, I think even my younger sister, when we were little, very young, our pediatrician looked at a chart and said right to her, Oh, you're obese. Like she wasn't even a larger child at the time. But I guess according to the BMI, and she was like heartbroken and affected for years after that. Like, so that's why I appreciate doctors like you and um, just more open minded professionals who maybe take a little bit of a different approach. Because that can just lead to some crazy stuff down the line, I think. Yes. Not just disordered eating, but like anxiety and all kinds of stuff. Along the same line, what is a trend, not just in like your field, but in in society that you think should just go away immediately? Oh. A health Hmm. trend.
1: I mean, I think I would say along the same lines. If yeah. we're going to make all my dreams come true, it's going <laughs> to be like the whole fad diet yes. to try to lose a bunch of weight. And I, I think we should all stop trying to look the same yeah. and appreciate diversity and different size bodies, but also start connecting more to actually what health and well being are instead of body size, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I want people to be talking more about feeling good, rather than fitting into the skinny
0: jeans. Yes, definitely. I have to agree with that. Because personally, even when I was what I thought was my fittest, my healthiest, I was not at all, I couldn't even digest or any like, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. But I thought Mm -hmm. I was eating right, because I saw it on Instagram. You know, I was not happy. I was having anxiety. I was, it, it wasn't until I did exactly what you say, like, Eat when I'm hungry, stop when I'm full, meditate, just live naturally according to my own physiological cues that my weight regulated and my mood regulated and everything kind of started falling into place. So I agree. I wish that more people um, were exposed to that type of thing or more open minded or just somehow were shown these ways, these practices. I think it's so important. And and that's why, especially for kids, too, because... Mm -hmm you know, I think of the future, I think of how I want my daughter to grow up. And I like I said, I want her to, she's, we're not perfect. All of our kids are going to have their own problems. But I think it's these types of things that we learn about that can help us help them solve their own problems.
1: Exactly. Yes, because that's what we want to give them a toolkit. We want to give them, you know, some skills to work with instead of them being dependent on us telling them what to do all the time. And it's hard because I want my kids to need me. You know, it's like this need, like when you're a mom, you're like, please always need me. But at the same time, that's what we talk about, giving them wings. How can we make it so that, yeah, we love them and we teach them. But when they're ready to go off to college, they can manage. They're going to be able to make decisions and they're going to be able to manage their mistakes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the stress that comes with life and to not even when it comes to food to not always be emotional eaters and, you know, be intuitive eaters. And I think that is just so important. And it leads to just he- overall good health. And I love yeah. it so much. Yeah. So thank you for that. I want to ask you just a couple of fun questions. OK. Um, Are you a morning or a night person?
1: Absolutely. One hundred percent morning. Oh, my favorite. I love getting up early and doing my exercise in the morning and I just feel like it's like the best start to the day. And everybody in my family knows that even if I, I usually have this super optimistic view of how I'm going to feel at night. So if you ask me like at nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, like, Hey, let's stay up late and do this. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then by eight I'm like, literally like, I'm so tired. <laughs> and like, you still want to do that thing. And I'm like, no, thanks. I'm just going to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I hardly ever make it to like fireworks or any of that stuff. Cause oh I just God.
0: love going to bed on time and I love sleeping and getting up early. I'm the same exact way. I always have these high hopes of watching a movie. Every night we put on a movie. And then the next morning I'm like, did I make it? And my (laughs) fiance's like, nope. 10 minutes in, you're out. (laughs) 10 minutes in. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Probably 10 minutes in, you're out. (laughs) This is why we got to watch movies during the day. Um, So do you have a morning routine or morning rituals that set you off on a good note? Yeah. So I,
1: and I've been developing and tweaking this over time, but I get up and straight away, I get my workout clothes and I exercise and I alternate between the spin bike and the treadmill. That's what Mm -hmm. I like to do. And then after my workout, I have a stretch routine. It's really important for me because I get super tight muscles and it starts Mm -hmm. creating sequelae. So I have my stretch routine, which is also kind of like a cool down relaxing. And then I meditate for 15 to 30 minutes usually and then after that I do my just kind of do a quick look at my emails check in
0: with social media take a shower eat breakfast and then I'm off to work yeah I love that I love the morning because you can just set the tone for your whole day I don't like to rush I like to take my time and uh same for you with your exercise I love a morning workout it's just like alone time in the morning it's so important What would your dream job be if not in medicine? (laughs) Okay, so it could be anything. Yeah, I guess if if what I I always wanted to be a doctor.
1: Okay, since I was like three or four years old. Oh, cool. But then I deviated a little bit in high school. But being from a Latin American family, they were like, ah, ah, "You said you're going to be a doctor. (laughs) You will be a doctor." But I did have a fantasy for a few years of wanting to be a performer. So actor, singer combo would be perfect, but I love performing and hopefully I'll be able to get back to the theater doing community theater. I just haven't had any time, but I guess if I could do every single thing I wanted to in this life, lifetime, I would be like an uber famous actress (laughs) and singer
0: both. I'd have to do both. You have to do both. That's awesome. I just want to say, I think creativity is something that has gotten a little bit lost for our kids over time you know, I think we don't give them enough. Uh, I teach piano lessons to kids. Cool. And yeah, and I and I love it. And it's just fun. And like, I have all these kids that um, are so over scheduled, and they cry during their lessons. And I'm like, No, 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 this is just supposed to be fun. Like, let's just learn whatever song you want. I'll teach you anything you want to know, like, I'm not going to bore you or make you do things you don't do. But I think if we allowed our kids that Boredom, because I think through boredom we become creative. That might help them clear their head a little bit and just not stress so much. So,
1: yeah, I think. And you know, I I'm the kind of parent that I see my child as like a treasure chest of fun. And I can't wait to see what they do with their lives. But I also hope that they don't do just one thing because there's so much more in life to explore. So I talk to them all the time, like, don't feel pressured to pick the right thing. You have time. You have a whole lifetime. Have fun, explore, and go where your heart tells
0: you is the right place to go. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And like, I, I went to school for music. I've been studying music my whole life. And now I'm a trainer, nutritionist. I'm starting, you know, I just love to explore wherever my, my uh, life takes me at that point. And I hope the same for my Do one thing. Yeah, so, so cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Is there anything you want to add? You have a podcast, uh, Veggie Doctor Radio,
1: yes. which
0: I love. Everybody should go and listen to it. So tell everybody where we can find you, Instagram and all that stuff. Okay, great. So on Instagram and
1: Facebook, I'm at the Dr. Yami, all spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I. And my podcast is Veggie Doctor Radio, which you can find on all major podcast players. And my website, I have two, probably the most applicable for families that are wanting to transition to a plant-based diet or want to support their plant-based child is going to be veggiefitkids.com. And I also have
0: dryami.com as well. Cool. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to add that you want to share? You think people should know?
1: Yeah, I just think let go of the pressure, Mm -hmm. do the best you can and really have fun on this journey because
0: that's the most important thing. Have fun, love your kid the way I know that you're already loving them. That's perfect. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time and your knowledge and just your super fun personality. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I super appreciate it. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening to this interview with Dr. Yami. It was so much fun, such a pleasure and a privilege to get to speak with her. And just to remind you, you can find Dr. Yami on Instagram at TheDrYami. You can also find her at DrYami.com and at VeggieFitKids.com. And definitely check out her podcast, Veggie Doctor Radio, on all the podcast platforms. So there you have it, guys. And I just, again, want to encourage you to do your best to be okay and to take care of yourselves and your families and to try your best to de-stress. I know that there is just nonstop fighting going on, fighting for justice and for peace. And, you know, the only real piece of advice I can personally offer you is that it has to start at home. So I encourage you to keep listening and to keep seeking out other ways that you can invite peace into your own life and in your family's life. And, you know, just start there and keep at it and stay strong. And that's it. And I hope you enjoyed this. And I will see you guys next week.